For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And more food on the program tonight. Always look forward to chatting about food. We're going to have the uh, gang behind Tuck Shop on the program in just a little bit. Amelia Steins and Jonathan Metcalf, they'll be along. Plus, we'll talk about uh, some cross-border personal tax issues with Ernie Fur, tax partner at FL. Uh, but as usual, some entrepreneurial news and notes. First, let's talk about... Uh, the big event tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, uh, you know, I, and I and I, I I read this article uh, how Google handles failure because you know the the event tomorrow night it's that word that we're not allowed to say on air, Dan. That we've we we skated around, mm. uh, and that's our <laughs> f up nights, our foul up nights, our failure nights, and uh, and this is a uh, you know. We've had some great turnout and some phenomenal entrepreneurs. And tomorrow night, uh, that's taking place at Havas, 1253 McGill College. We're going to have another few great entrepreneurs share their failure stories because failure is 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 a, a, a great way to learn. Not the only way to learn, but a great way to learn. And uh, and our very own Dan Delmar is going to come and share his his failure story. You want to give a little uh, yeah. sneak peek and what you what you're going to talk about? Well, basically, it's about how we, we rebranded our, our company from provocateur to TNKR Media, and the reason is because the, the the concept and the term provocateur got really out of control, and uh, it got to the point where. Um, I think uh, a lot of people online were labeling themselves provocateur, and uh, I was really stubborn about this. I wanted to keep the name because it sounded so great, but sometimes brands and names and things change, and things take on a new meaning. And so I felt my I felt myself sort of reflecting on my own contribution to the internet and thinking, no, I, I don't want to be a provocateur. You know, just because I'm on the radio saying controversial things once in a while doesn't mean this is the my brand, my whole existence. So. Uh, my lesson will be about uh, about looking for, from within and developing a brand that uh, that you feel comfortable with. And uh, we have a couple of other a uh, couple of companies uh, online that are going to be there tomorrow night too. Lenny Moreno, Softdesk, and uh, we have the owner of the inception of Chic Marie. So it's all online uh, online wearers, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to come in and listen to that. So if you want to come out, check us out, uh, Fun uh, Montreal. Uh, check us out online, Facebook, whatever, and uh, and come out and listen to a few entrepreneurs share their failure stories. It's facebook.com slash funmontreal, I believe, uh, if you want to check that out for tickets. Uh, that's the uh, the page for F Up Nights. And uh, yeah, hope to see you there. Now, news and notes. A big bank in Silicon Valley is coming to Canada, and this is great news. Uh, more evidence that we really have one of the hottest tech markets in the world. And this is it. Really, is good news. It really is. You know, you've had the Canadian banks that are that are have delved into it. They have their their KBI groups, their knowledge base industry group, and that's where they really try and and head out. But their appetite for risk and startups in this in this domain is really not very high. Uh, I think I believe CIBC was was venturing out a little bit when they purchased Wellington uh, Wellington Capital, and they were they were you know a little bit more involved in the tech side of things. But not like a California company, not like Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, that's really going to be a, a game changer. There's no doubt. We've spoken about it many times on the show, Dan. All the the startups and the tech side. Uh, you know, whether it's AI, whether it's gaming, what have you. And there, there's quite a number of of great prospects in Montreal. Uh, but that's just Montreal. Right across Canada, 
you know, we, there, there's so many good ideas. There's so many, so much out there, but not always the access to capital. And that's really been one of the tougher aspects for entrepreneurs and starting up. So this, uh, this, uh, coming into Canada, Silicon Valley uh, Bank, uh, I think it's a great thing. And, uh, and it's a great indication, like you said, of what we, and not just Montreal, not just Quebec, but all of Canada can really bring to the international table. Uh, this from CBC, phasing out the checkout line, retailers race to make shopping more seamless. Um, this is interesting because I thought the trend was to keep us in line for, for longer. You know, we have those windy lines where you have like two aisles of, you know, uh, checkout stuff that you can peruse while you're waiting. But hopefully uh, they won't make us wait in line for much longer. But here's the thing, you know, they, they want to make the checkout experience or the customer experience as an overall pretty smooth. And when retail stores are battling online sales and online shopping this is kind of combining both i would say most people if you ever walked into an apple store this is where uh, the walmarts of the world are trying to go you don't really go to a checkout table you can go to somebody in i don't know if it's a blue shirt or yellow shirt or whatever color shirts they are and basically pay for your item right there in the middle of the store um and and walk out with it you don't have to stand in any particular line so Walmart has been trying this out, they you know with different uh, different uh, solutions, different online solutions. It hasn't quite caught on that much. Uh, and the reality is, and we've spoken about this before, Dan. When you're in a retail store, you want the advice of somebody, you want the assistance, or or at least the the stats show that if the salesperson is going to help the customer, there's a better chance of conversion than not. So do you combine, I see this as a combination of letting the sales force do their job and help out, but also letting them take them from cradle to grave, probably not the best expression, from beginning to end of their shopping experience and their and creating a great customer value. This is from uh, Inc.com. And speaking of uh, business failure stories, uh, Google has this program that's in place to to learn from failure and here's the here are the steps. There's like a, a process you have to go through and forms to fill out. So here, here are the steps real quick. Identify the most important problems. Create a record. Promote growth, uh, not blame. And uh, I suppose if you follow these processes, according to Google, you'll hopefully learn from your mistakes. But but that's just it. It's it's don't run away from the failure. Learn from it. And I tell people this all the time, whether mentees or, or entrepreneurs or whoever, uh, recognize the failure because you don't want to repeat it. The worst thing you can do is repeat a mistake. So learn from it, but you can only learn from it if you identify it first, if you don't shy away from it. So identify it, know that it happened, figure out why it happened, and then fix the issue. Find a solution that is longer term. And that's really when they're talking about uh, identifying the most important problems, creating a record, in other words, understanding it, and then and then promoting growth and fixing it and making sure you move forward and not blaming somebody for what happened because you can't change it, so you might as well learn from it and move forward. Uh, I think it's really simple. I think you know the the article is talking more about Google and how they do it, but there's so many entrepreneurs and so many companies that effectively do it this way without actually putting it in writing. We're going to be speaking about the restaurant business tonight, and this from the Gazette. Make tip sharing the rule, chefs and restaurateurs tell Quebec. It wasn't a long article, but it, you know it certainly stuck out with me just because of our guest tonight, uh, Tuck Shop, and we're going to have Amelia and Jonathan come on and, and share their story. There is, that's a service business, but everybody's 
servicing you at that restaurant, whether you're a busboy, whether you're in the kitchen, whether you're a sous chef, whether you're a server. And who are you tipping? Are you tipping the server? Are you really tipping everybody? All restaurants aren't created equal. All restaurants don't apply the same rule. They're looking to the government to regulate it. I don't know if I love government regulation as a whole to begin with, uh, but I understand the concept. I understand that it's it, they're really trying to share the wealth. Yep, so some of the top restauranters are calling on the government to do that. And finally, one of these old-school dilemmas. Um, I mean, we, we, we all played hockey growing up and uh, and pick up hockey, and sometimes you just can't find a goalie, and no one wants to be the goalie. Well, now there's an app for that. It's it, There's an app for that. It's it's another one of these, uh, I guess, uh, sharing apps where, or, or you know, community-based apps, if you will, where, and we live in a, a, a hockey town, there's no question about it, and certainly a hockey country. But it wasn't always easy to find goalies. And if you can't find a goalie and you forfeit your game, you're paying a penalty. So this these these guys that that you know always had this issue said, you know what, there's gotta be there's gotta be a way to improve that. The goalies get paid, uh, you know, the app gets paid, the goalie gets money, you don't forfeit, you don't have to pay a penalty, and it brings a lot of people together. It's so it's a it's a great community app that can apply all over. And uh there's always an idea, and as you say, Dan, there's always an app for that. All right, coming up, we'll uh, chat with the folks from Tuck Shop, Amelia Steins and Jonathan Metcalf. They've been in business for about uh, eight years. Uh, Tuck Shop, uh, one of the mainstays in the Sud-West on Notre Dame, very nice restaurant. And they are coming up on today's Entrepreneur. Professional advice with a personal touch? Consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, uh, Josh, I always like talking about food. And we have Amelia Steins and Jonathan Metcalf of Tuck Shop. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Just great. So excited to be here. Yeah, very excited to be here. So first, uh, a very easy question. What is Tuck Shop? Um, so Tuck Shop is a small restaurant in St. Henry that opened eight years ago. So 2010 was our first year. 40-seat restaurant, market-driven cuisine, small team. And then after three years being open, we opened a catering kitchen. So we also have a catering division. Now, what were you doing before Tuck Shop? Like what? What was what was the build up to that? Uh, <laughs> the build up to that is uh, the three original partners. So John Bloom, Theo Lurikas, and myself all worked together at Tavern on Monklin, and we decided that we wanted to open this restaurant. So before we even had the space, we started doing small catering gigs out of John Bloom's kitchen NDG. Mm. So that that was the beginning of the catering slash restaurant, I would say. And uh, we did a couple of gigs out of his tiny NDG kitchen. And we worked really well together. And then once we got the space in Notre Dame, we opened the restaurant. And then once the restaurant was rolling, we got the catering kitchen. And that was it. Take us back uh, a few years. I mean, going back eight years or so, uh, the area was sort of just becoming cool, I guess. How did you guys pick the location? And did you see that that this was going to be the next hot neighborhood in Montreal? Um, yes. We we did see that it was going to be the next hot neighborhood in Montreal, just because it was it was so close to where we were coming from. We were coming from NDG and Westmount. So when we first got there, it didn't look the way it looked now. There was definitely still a lot of bars with VLTs and 
prostitutes most nights standing outside tuck shop. Um, There's but a few less today, right? A few less. Just a few. <laughs> Still a lot of characters. They're just a bit hipper now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, In comes Jonathan. No, no, no. no. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but we saw we saw the potential. Basically, it was you know it was very well located, and the price was definitely good in terms of rent. We could afford it. So now you're you're you were three partners at the beginning, as yeah. you as you mentioned. Yeah. Did you guys always want to go into business? Like, was this something that you just had a love for? Or like, like what was the trigger that said, okay, you know what, we've been working somewhere long enough, we're going to work for ourselves? I think it happens naturally to anyone in this business. I really do. I think you know you work. If you're passionate and you work hard enough and this is your full-time job, you know, it's not like you're a student and you're also in the business. If this is your full-time job and you're passionate about it, eventually you just want to do it for yourself. And I think that's for anyone in the business. Now, you were three partners for a while. Yeah. And then Jonathan came along. Yeah. So that's actually a good question because... So, what, you know, where, like, why add another partner to your existing group? Um, like, where where's the whys? And, and, and Jonathan, why, you know, why do you want to... Get into the. Why did you want to get into this business? You wanted to join an existing family. Uh, how long were you a tuck shop before uh, partner? Uh, I started as a busboy the first summer that they opened. I think in the end of July or August, beginning of August two thousand ten. Uh, and I certainly started it as a job while I was in my undergraduate, but. Um, since I was pretty young, I always, I enjoy, I came from a family that always enjoyed cooking and who enjoyed wine, but especially who enjoyed receiving people at home. And, uh, that was something that was ingrained for me, you know, as a teenager and hosting house parties to eventually working in supper clubs before ending up at tuck shop. And it was, it was really my partners who inspired me at, as I was kind of completing my studies and considering law school, um, realizing that was, this was something that I was really passionate about. And as Amelia said, to have a, to have a career in it, you have to be passionate about it and you have to have a love for little details and a love for your guests and working in, you know, have a tolerance for working in stressful situations. And, um, when I saw that in my partners and I knew that I wanted to pursue a career in it, I knew there was no better fit than a tuck shop now the, the the flip side of the coin amelia you and 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 theo and john you know you're you are the trio you're musketeers and you're like okay we're gonna add a fourth why why would you want to add a fourth um because or else we'd lose him and because he was with us from the beginning and it was such a great fit and like i said you know it just happens naturally that when you've been in it for so long you want to go out and do it on your own you want to do it for yourself and, you know, he's been such an intricate part of building Tuck Shop and what it is today that to lose him would have been, um, it would have been a huge loss. We weren't willing, we, we offered him partner. So now you're, you're four of you. Do you have very distinct roles between the four of you? Or do you overlap a lot? No, we have distinct roles. Jonathan and I, and I overlap a little bit, but we definitely do have distinct, it's better to have distinct roles. Distinct roles with kind of full consultation yeah. on uh on most topics, which is, which is really, I think that's, I think it's a great compromise that we have and that we all have our own specialties, um, whether it's, you know, ministering business or the menu or service or catering, but we can all, well, especially again, my partners who, you know, they, they're all savvy enough that we can discuss any topic and all, and all be able to make contributions. Who's responsible for the menu? Well, Chef Theo. Theo. <laughs> Theo. Chef Theo. 
who's not here right now. No. Um, he's he's which, not, but we know he's listening. How are you, Theo? Guy? Do you ever get a say? Um, I think he's. Uh, I think they're always looking uh, for. Amelia is shaking her head. No, <laughs> by the way, it's radio. Nobody can see that. But uh, go ahead, Jonathan. Sorry. I, I think Theo is always uh, is always looking for feedback, um, and as, as our team is always looking for feedback, whether it's positive or um, more constructive, um, and we're always more than happy to contribute to that because we have such a talented team and Theo is so talented that we're happy if they want to run tests on us we're we're more than obliging and there's you know there, there's so much talk about with the choosing a menu and I'm sure you guys have been visited by uh, uh, somebody who's critiquing you or not so we'll talk about that uh, a little later on Amelia Steins and Jonathan Metcalf of Tuck Shop are guests this evening on today's entrepreneur and later on we'll talk to Ernie Furt tax partner at FL about some cross-border personal tax issues so if you have any of those stick around For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller. And coming up, we'll bring in Ernie Furt to talk about some cross-border personal tax issues. Uh, but first, talking food with Amelia Steins and Jonathan Metcalf of Talk Shop, uh, mainstay now on Notre Dame for the past eight years or so. And um, guys, uh, what about food critics? Uh, you know, whether it's the Gazette, La Presse, whatever, uh, these can be very tough people. They can often make or break a restaurant. What is your experience uh, with food critics and and how how challenging that is uh, for your business? Do you remember the first time, Amelia? Yes, I do. <laughs> well, I remember the, I remember the first time Leslie came in for dinner, and it just so happened that it was going to be the critique for the Gazette. And uh, I remember because you know opening a restaurant, and we were we had only been open I think six months when she came in. You're you're always anticipating that you know you're ready. You're you're is that is that her? Anytime a blonde, you know she's blonde. So anytime a blonde woman would come in, we'd be like, is it her? Is it her? We weren't sure. You know, we're we're nervous about it, and you know we want to make sure that we come off like doing a good job, and we're working so hard. We want to be able to share that. So I remember when she did come in, I look over and I see her, and I said to my partner John Bloom at the time, I said, John, this is not a drill. She's here, table ten. He's like he's like he drops everything. <laughs> He's like, where? I'm like, there. He's like, oh. So he goes over. He takes, I, I forget who is serving her that night, but he, he comes over, you know, and he, he says hi. And, and he was just very excited, actually, to share, you know, his way of receiving people and, you know, offering the service that we want to offer and the food that we want to offer. And luckily, she really liked us. And, you know, she gave us a really nice review. And that was really rewarding. And the next day, I remember I came and I was doing the phones for reservations and I'd come in and I'd have like, you have 12 messages. The next day I came in, your mailbox is full. I remember so, that. I remember that whole, the That's two a good weeks. problem, right? Yeah, it was a great problem. <laughs> the two weeks, even like the next six weeks following that phone yeah. did not go off. It was off great. It was a huge boom. So, I mean, it's clearly that there's the food part, but there's a service part. You have a team around you. It's not just the now four partners. It's much more than that. Yeah. Is it hard to find people, and and when you when they come in the door, is it you're training them rigorously, like they have to meet a certain level of service? Definitely, it's it's really hard. It's hard to uh, train people at the level that we want them, and then it's also hard to just find good people. Like so many people will come through the door. You know, Jonathan and I can sit down with twelve people, and maybe one person out of those twelve people will be good enough to come and do a training. What do you look for? Like, what are the characteristics? Great is attitude. It skill? It's attitude. 
Attitude. I, I'll take attitude over experience. No, I will. Jonathan's disagreeing, but no, I'm going to finish what I'm going to say. I will take great attitude and good work ethic over experience any day. With a, like a willingness to learn, you can mold anybody the way you want them to work. And that won't change, you know. But somebody with experience and a bad attitude can be detrimental to your business. Jonathan, do you? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. It's 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 a you know regardless of your position, whether you're in the kitchen or or you're on the service team, definitely you have to have the right attitude. Um, a lot of it is being passionate. It's about uh, it's about caring. It's about caring about what what we're doing and about our guests. Um, it's about understanding how serious we take service and how how serious we take our business. Um, though a certain knowledge base and a certain skill set from experience, I think is, is definitely a huge asset, obviously. Well, Um, it makes our job easier, but in the, in the, in the short run, I think it makes our job easier, but in the long run, I think again, good attitude, good work ethic will go a lot longer than, Mm -hmm. you know, the experience. There, there have been a number of articles written over, over the last months, years that, you know, Montreal, so many restaurants, there's a shortage of chefs. Um, I understand. I mean, Theo's a chef, and and he's an owner, so he's not running away anywhere. But what do you see? Do you do you see that? And you've been around eight years. You've had a number of sous chefs uh, come and go. Uh, what do you see out there? Somebody was opening up a restaurant today. Should they be super concerned about this? Um. Yeah. N- yes. Definitely, the volume makes that you know. People and you know the same goes for clients. You know to find good people, so people will want to try new things. You know if you hear about something for the first time, they'll go and check it out. So maybe a chef that's looking for a job will go and you know apply to the new hot restaurant before maybe coming to us. But I think the best way to have people come through your front door and to keep them is to again like that positive environment is to treat them well, to pay them well, and to make sure that you're always offering a positive environment for them to work in. And not work them too hard. That's very important, actually, especially in the kitchen, because it's such a hard job. And uh, they're, you know, physically, it's so physically demanding that if you work a chef five nights a week, even if he has the best attitude and the best work ethic, you're going to burn him. So it's very important to always be aware of, you know, what, what kind of workload you're putting on their plate. How are you guys dealing with the new takeout craze? You know, Fudora and Uber Eats. You know, yeah. do, you, do you use those services? And how do you counter that? How do you make people come into the restaurant when when the when the when it's so easy to just take I mean, it, we can't really like our food isn't you know it is. I mean, we're trying to do fine dining. It's not you know something that would travel. Um, it's not the type of food that you want to travel really well. You know, I don't. There are certain dishes that I can think that wouldn't even travel well, like as good as they are. You know, I don't think that they can spend fifteen minutes in the back of a Toyota Camry. You know, to your door, and I don't think they'll be as good. Um, I think it's just not our type of restaurant so if you're but you you were also talking about you opened up a catering side yeah a few years in so what was the drive why did you open up that that catering side the 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 restaurant wasn't enough challenge uh, <laughs> you, you wanted to you know what let's whatever cash you're making let's just throw it into another business uh yeah no <laughs> Uh, the demand was there. I, you know what? I think it was it was ignorance. The demand was there, and we just figured, well, if they want it, we'll do it, you know? And it was ignorance, and then we just started doing it. And then, you know, by the time, once you get the ball rolling, you're just, you're already there. So, you know, we were doing it. Is, is it a ramp up? You know, like when you first, like today, you're, and I've been to Tuck Shop a number of times, great restaurant, but also a great wine list, Thank which you. which is, you know, it, it's it's lengthy. 
And today you're doing catering jobs probably for very large parties. But that didn't start out that way. So did you start off slow? Did you did you start off based on uh, your experience, cash flow? Like what was the progression and, and at what point did you did you step it up? Um, yes. So we did. We started off very tight. You know, you know, if I look at the catering jobs that we would take would be like 30 people. Our first big job, I remember, I think it was a 100-person wedding. And it was for... Uh, a friend and you know we hired you know we really pushed it we hired everyone we knew basically like my sister my brother like or John's brother like it was like all people we knew so it you know that was our staff so that's how we would do it and like for the wine list for at the re- at the restaurant for example like when we first opened it was six whites and six reds by the glass and if we sold out of a wine one night the next morning we were at the SAQ buying that bottle of wine like that was our cash flow that's how we were managing it we weren't buying you know cases and cases hoping to sell them we would buy and the same with our fridge we didn't have a walk-in we used a fridge from home like a regular (laughs) size fridge that's where our produce was um and then you know when things started getting bigger then we we had to start hiring that's the thing we would only hire people that we knew or referrals like that's how we got jonathan metcalf was through a guy that had worked with us for a long time he said this is my best friend he's gonna come work so at that point we really had to open I think our door is a lot more and that's when we started hiring a lot more people. Even when you have a, a large event and you need 30 people or however many people you might need? Sometimes, unfortunately, because it's not our favorite way, sometimes we have to have people there that aren't part of our team, that yeah. are regular team. I give full kudos to to John Bloom and Allie who manage the, the catering that they really put a lot of energy into developing a network of you know staff that you can rely on to st- still give the same level of service at the you know at a catered event as we would try to achieve at the restaurant and it's it's, it's a it's always inspiring to work to work with them on that scale it's unbelievable that's the goal it's your name it's tuck shop so yeah. if it's not the quality of the restaurant then where's where's that reputation coming from thanks very much Amelia steins and jonathan metcalf of tuck shop guys you want to hang out and we'll have you one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur coming up in a little bit uh coming up next ernie furt tax partner on fl on some personal tax issues especially of the cross-border variety so if you have uh, some stuff in canada and the u.s and doing your taxes ernie has some tips for you next For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And we're joined by Amelia Steins and Jonathan Metcalf of Tuck Shop. We'll have their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, welcome back, Ernie Furt, tax partner at on uh, at F.L. Rather, on uh, some cross-border personal tax issues. Welcome back, Ernie. Thank you. And Josh, uh, yeah, it's, it's still that time. If you have uh, left always business. that time, it's always it's always that time. That always time. The time. You know, we were talking off air about uh, workers. You know, going you know Canadian workers going to the states, uh, not necessarily moving permanently. Um, and then, of course, you can have some U.S. people coming here to Canada permanently. So it definitely raises questions on on a few basics that that these people that are crossing the border should know about. So uh, I don't know, Ernie, where you want to start. I mean, we're, we can we only have a few minutes, so you can't can't release it all. But uh, but what would you say your first thoughts are on that? Well, it depends what you are. Okay, if you if you're an American or if you're or if you're a Canadian, depending on where you're going. Let's say if you're let's say you're a Canadian going to the states. If you're a Canadian going to the states, first of all, you need a some type of work visa. You have to be permitted to work in the states. So if you're permitted to work in the states, great. Who are you working for? 
Are you working for a Canadian company? Are you working for a U.S. company? Because if you're working for a U.S. company, you're going to get the Canadian equivalent of a T4. Uh, sorry, the U.S. equivalent of a T4, which is a W-2. If you're a, a Canadian working for a Canadian company down in the U.S. and you're not there for 183 days, chances are you'll be getting a T4. And you may or may not have to file in the States depending on your situation. And what if you're going to move down a little bit more permanently? Then what what do you have to consider? You know, you have to you have different assets sitting up here in Canada. Uh, well, now we're starting to, to talk residency. Out? So so we have to take a look at, you know, are we changing residency? Are we leaving the country permanently? So if we're leaving Canada permanently, then there are certain things that we have to consider that we sold them. We have a deemed disposition when you leave Canada on certain assets. Not all assets, but certain assets. What about your RSP? Not on the RSP. You get to keep that. And and later on, you get to pay tax on that in the United States as well as Canada because there's a withholding tax from Canada. Canada's not going to let you off the hook right away. Now, I, you know, again, you could probably have a whole discussion just on residency. Um, but if can you just go work somewhere for a year and not really leave your residency? or is You certainly can because it, a lot of people just go. And they don't pay any attention to taxation. And then April rolls around and they say, well, you know, I've been working in the U.S. or I've been working in England for a year. You know, um, where do I file my taxes? So you have to figure out where they're truly resident, if they left the country or if they didn't leave the country, and if they're planning on staying away. So if they're going to stay away, then consideration should be given to breaking residential ties. If they're not, then they file Canadian tax returns, but they have to realize that they're going to pay Canadian tax on income that they earned in the States or in another country, and the Canadian tax rate may in fact be higher at the end of the day, so they may end up paying more tax. So the best thing to do before you do anything like this is to discuss it with somebody who knows something. No golf course talk. Just have a discussion with an accountant who actually knows something about cross-border. Too, too many details, uh, not enough to spare. What about the other way, quickly? What if you're, you're in the U.S. and, you know, there's this lovely country north of the 49th parallel, this great restaurant that you're absolutely passionate about that you want to go work at, and you want to come north of the border. Are there basic considerations the other way? The considerations are very similar, except when you're an American, you're, you're going to be filing U.S. tax returns forever and ever, amen. So you have to file a U.S. return. You have to file a Canadian return if you're going to be working uh, working for Tuck Shop here. But then at the end of the day, you say, well, wait a minute. I'm filing a U.S. return. I'm filing a Canadian return. Am I paying tax twice? That's the first question everybody asks. So no, you're not paying tax twice. There's a treaty between the two countries that kind of governs who gets the tax what. So you have to look at that as well. There's a lot of stuff to look at. And but you can't. Can you maintain two homes, one on either side of the border? Of course you can. You can maintain a lot of things. If you have a lot of money, you can maintain two homes. Not an issue. <laughs> you know the question is where are you there? Well, you know, you know where are your investments? Where are your where are your assets? Where do you go? You know where do you go home to at the end of the day? Are you a student? You could be attending McGill University because it's a great university. Concordia is a great university, but you could be going home in the summer times to the U.S. So you're not really resident here. You're just here on a student visa. What are the kind of the top things that, that people look for when determining residency? Top things? Like, like you know, uh, like, I guess your affiliations, right? Uh, you know. Well, I like to do my little wallet test, okay? So effectively what I, what I ask is I pull, out, uh, I, I pull out your wallet and put your cards down. I don't want to see the money. I don't care what you have in there. 
I want to see if you have a Quebec Medicare card, if you have a Quebec driver's license, if you have a U.S. driver's license, where your your credit cards are from, club memberships, etc., etc. Your wallet will speak a lot about what you have, and it'll point in the direction of residency, and it'll also point in in, to ter- in terms of asking questions to further the discussion. So in this case, the litmus test is the wallet test. Thanks very much, Ernie. Um, I know there's lots more to talk on that, but I've got to cut you off because we are here, and at the last moment of the show, as we do each week, we're going to turn to Amelia and Jonathan and ask you, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Ladies first, Amelia. Um, One piece of advice that I wish I had gotten when I opened the restaurant would be to delegate, delegate, delegate. Empower the people beneath you that you're training and um, delegate. I mean, I can't say it enough. Give, give, it gives you a chance to take a step back and see the bigger picture and, you know, to grow your business a lot faster. Excellent. Thank you. And Jonathan, the newest partner of the group, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? I think my, my one piece of advice would be to take care of your people, um, whether it's the staff, um, you know, who we rely on to, to do what we do, but also our clientele um, who allow us to do what we do as well. Um, we couldn't, we couldn't be who we are without their help and, um, and it's, we will have to do it and just take care of them. He just made me look bad. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. He's taking care of his people. (laughs) Thanks very much. Amelia Steins and Jonathan Metcalf of Tuck Shop. Uh, Thanks for stopping by guys and uh, looking forward to to coming back soon. Thank you. Uh, Ernie Furt, tax partner at FL as well. Thank you, Ernie. You're welcome. And Josh, we'll see you next Monday night at seven. So two weeks from now. Two weeks. Uh, Uh, Next Monday is a holiday. Two weeks will be our last show of the season. Wow. And, uh, our Braska. Nebraska, nice. tree top trekking. Yes. If you haven't done it, lots of fun. Adventure for the last show. Uh, th- and don't forget to go to flmontreal.com. All the episodes are there. Nine years worth of conversations. Just click on the community section at flmontreal.com and have a good evening.